Now tell me if you remember No telling if you remember I'll never forget I'll never forget Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. My guest today is Christian. Christ, is it Kristen or Christian? Kristen. You had it right, Kristen. Yes, I. you guys know I fall over my tongue a little bit. So Kristen, that's that's the southern that's the southern mi- Midwest mix of me, and I just get kind of like. <laughs> so Kristen, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Kristen Saversky. I am a now product owner and formerly uh, spent ten years as a software developer uh, in tech, and I have been a part of Girl Development for four and a half years, and that's. Largely what made me cross paths with Kim Creighton this past uh, year. And it has been a wonderful experience to listen to the podcast and get up to speed and to really tune in to the wonderful messages that you present. So uh, thank you for having me on here. And I'm, I'm happy to offer any uh, of my experience or the things I've been learning to this platform. All right. So we always start with why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing the scene? So let's get started. Yes. So the first one, uh, it's been tough to think about this a little bit, like why is it important? Um, and without it sounding too cliche, it's to me, it's just the right thing to do. Um, and this isn't always obvious. And that's something that's been part of my journey as I, I've been growing and especially being uh, you know, a white privileged woman in the society. Some of these things aren't as clear up front. And um, that's the ongoing effort of raising my awareness and seeing what I could do to leverage that privilege instead of just sitting back and going, Oh, someone else could deal with that. Uh, no, it's, I believe in leading towards a more balanced and authentic and clear society. And I think to get to that point and to even build trust, uh, we need to have more people calling out and acknowledging when things aren't fair or aren't uh, consistent and, uh, it goes back to that efficiency too. I think a lot of my personality with development is how do we get to the path of least re- of uh, efficiency and being able to give everyone the right expectations and clarity. So a lot of those things together just mix and help me understand that, yep, we need to just do this more often. And especially again, uh, being a white woman in this world with a lot of privilege, a lot of energy, I think it's, it behooves me to do it even more so. So how are you specifically causing a scene? Yes. So that's the part where I would rather someone else judge for me just because I, in some ways, and this is something I joke about a lot with some of my friends. um, Sometimes in my mind, I think I am roaring like a lion. And then when you see the the results or you hear from others, they're like, oh, that little kitten over there is just meowing at us. And so I'm still trying to build that up. That's something that I think this past year, especially I have tried really hard to stop that sort of semi-accommodation, um, bend over backwards, be the hostess with the mostest type of tendency that I have. Because uh, if Girl Development taught me anything, it's that I can give too much benefit of the doubt as, that, as a result of that. And that creates more damage versus focusing on the harm and not the lesson. So 
that's a long winded way of saying I am trying really hard personally to stop that tendency, uh, fewer strikes basically, and to just ask a lot of questions. Um, if I were to use girl develop it as a specific example, I personally thought I was, you know, causing a bit of a scene. I won't say full fledged, uh, when I would just ask a lot of questions to the headquarters for the past year plus, like I've just been like, Hey, you know, this is not seeming like we're going the right way. What about this? And I'm talking, uh, the, the structure of business management. Like that was the first real problem that I was recognizing is like, wow, we don't have a lot of transparency and how does anyone know what's happening or what are these, these expectations? Again, that's my dev and that could just be human. Like, we just want to know what's going on and are we on the same pages and are we going towards the path together? And I started to get really frustrated with that. And so I would get louder and louder and more, you know, probably annoying, which became an issue to me in another way. And that is realizing that I'm becoming a noisemaker or invalidated as annoying. Um, and so... I opted to kind of put a divider up between myself and the issues I cannot control or help anymore. And that's where another layer of problems formed because it's like leaving your house with older children that you think can hang out on their own. And you come home and the house is destroyed. And you're like, what happened? I thought that this was going to be okay. I thought I could leave and just do my thing over with my local community. And yeah. And so that was another shows. Your privilege because you get to you get to make the choice to walk away. Totally, you know? yeah. and I think there's there's something I do want to add to that um, because I, I fully recognize that I have that ability to just zip up and say, yeah, well, I can go over here. But what led me to that decision at the time was that I thought it would be more effective for me to focus on my local community because mm -hmm. I thought that okay, I can't fix headquarters and I you know they chose their leader. I don't I can't fight that as much, but maybe I can still focus. And, and make sure my local community is getting served the way that I think is it should be. Um, but that also forces the splintering of these rogue chapters and you're still in that chaotic lack of process. So it's not, it's not ideal by any means. I just thought that that was the, the better path. Oh, trust me, I've been there. I, I at <laughs> no point wanted to be the black woman spokesperson for inclusion and diversity. I wasn't like, I didn't, this is not me. I fought it for so long. Uh -huh. it, um, when I come at it from a business perspective, it just keeps coming up. It, mm -hmm. is, it is the flying the ointment that no one wants to talk about, but it is this, these issues are, I could say, I would think they would solve 70 to 75% of our issues. If, sure. If we embraced inclusion and diversity wholeheartedly. Um, yep. The other stuff is shit you can't even control. And so you just, Make sure you have the, you know, the, the emotional safety and all these other things around. So when the other shit you can't control happens, the teams or the individuals can work. But it was just, and, and I was like, oh my God, I don't want to do this fucking work. I don't want to do this work. But then it was like, I can't escape it. And I can't benefit my clients if I don't talk about this. Because all right. we're doing again is putting... Um, putting putting paint on a, a wall that has that's about to fall down that's termite ridden yes. it's like yes yeah, you can paint this wall but it's it's falling apart from the inside i mean <laughs> foundation's not there so yeah. have fun these termites are going at it you know yes. Um, yes and so yeah trust me i understand about okay let me let me carve off this little thing where i feel safe because 
Yeah, that was my intention because my philosophy in life, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? And I couldn't figure out a way to be happy and right doing this work until recently. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you found that happy balance. That's, I think that's the... Yeah, um, it, was, it happened when I decided, figured out that intention without strategy is chaos. So I yes. had to really focus on strategy. Um, and that, then that made me comfortable because now I'm back into my business thing where I'm, I'm comfortable and I don't have to be the neon black light of inclusion. Um, I come in a room, you know who the hell I am, a black female. Um, what it does though is allow me, enable me to... Um, temper that or bring that business stuff with it. And I was totally. like, and so this is what I know and not to disparage anybody else who's doing this work. This is why my work is different. I don't just rail again about that. It's like hashtag call the scene highlights the problem. Kim Creighton and the consulting and everything else. Oh, let's, let's, let's fix this. There's ways yes. to fix this. These are very strategic ways to fix this. And that's the only way I could find that balance. Cause just being, having that, um, being reactive doesn't work for me. I have to be proactive. And so it's been about, I have to figure a way to make it proactive for myself so that I am not burnt out. And I, I feel like I'm making some forward momentum, even if it's in, incremental, because it will be incremental. Um, but I'm moving forward. My, my clients and my communities are moving forward. Um, and that's the only way I can do this. Um, because it can be a shit show out there as we've seen. And I just want to talk directly because I know people thinking, Kim, this is your fourth damn GDI show. Picking on them. You know what? I'm not. Oh, I don't see it as that. I don't see it as no, that. Because let's, let's start with Shanisha's show. Yes. I knew that would be controversial. I did not know it was going to blow up the way they did. Because I didn't even know the community. I just saw the shit that I saw on Twitter. And I was like, oh, my God. So I had no idea about the inter- internal workings. And so when you and your fellow um, um, chapter leaders started chiming in, I was like, what the hell is going on? It was like this tsunami. And I was like, yeah. oh, it just kept going waves and waves. And how headquarters decided to respond to that just like, oh, yup. Oh, where we're at. Yes. And, it, and it, it, it's indicative of not just GDI, though. It's other organizations yes. and, and communities and event organizers who do the same thing. So for me, GDI is a great case study of what not to do when this shit happens. Because it's going to happen. It's going to yes. happen. Yes. That's exactly right. And I, I think there's something to be said, too, how, how there's a micro and macro example in this entirely. Um, because being that I was, I've been a part of this journey, I've watched this slow burn of what I would think to you when I, when we talk about risk management, it's like, how did this go from, we can't get the right Excel sheet. This is a problem to we've lost an entire chapter due to microaggressions and racial disparities. Like these are these problems. And I'm not to dare diminishing either. It's just a lot of them come back down to some similar root problems of poor leadership, terrible management, uh, lack of transparency, lack of vision, lack of strategy, all these things that you know are talking about with that business side as well, mixed with, you know, the privilege and the societal expectations of certain uh, personalities in the mix. So my point though is being a part of that slow burn journey, the, the past quarter was the most like that ramp up, that tsunami you felt mm-hmm. is because the chapter leaders too were feeling it. Uh, there was, so there was a lot like of, a, so it was just like a volcano, just like that. Yeah. That it's like, there's just a pin. Like, yeah. yeah. There was like three yeah. core pins. I see it through Minneapolis and then Jocelyn with Delaware. And then we had summit was, you know, there was a whole oh, thing. Yeah. We, t- yeah. We talk about yeah, that. There's 
oh. whole thing of a summit. And then, so those were just added logs of fire in this that I was feeling. And then to have Shanice's podcast, which I personally wasn't fully aware of the internal workings and dynamics of HQ. So there was this just, oh my God, it's a mess everywhere. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then to con- uh, compound that is, you know, something like Minneapolis to me would be a big enough case example to be yeah. like, all right, this is enough. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. This was you know, as soon as it. I mean, if, even if you could care less about, I'm going to be honest. Even if you could care less about the situation, for, when it hit the public, is when you should have. That should have been like the ringing. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. That should be like if, when it can't stay contained within the organization. That is the first. That is like okay. I can handle this. Yep. So you have something happens in August, and you don't even really respond until October. No. And that's, and that's back to my benefit of the doubt uh, moment. Yeah, let's um, talk about that. Let's talk yeah, about that. Because I want to talk about specifically, since you're a white woman in this organization. Yep. And I've been privy to some of the conversations and the frustrations that other um, chapter leaders are experiencing. And it's coming from other white women who, because they weren't directly affected, are just sure. like, well, let's, let's, you know, it wasn't that bad. Um, this happens in all organizations. So I'm just going to keep moving forward. As a person who is in a mar- marginalized community, I, I, and I don't care if people take offense to this. I really want to go to every one of them and slap the shit out of them. I really do. And because, that's fair. Because what it says is, unless some harm comes to you, you don't give a fuck. And we see this played, and this is why it's also when you talk about macro, micro, this is why it plays out in our, outside of our tech space, outside of GDI, and why white women think it's okay to call the police on these certain things, because they're now discomforted. Um, right. Not about thinking, hey, if I call the police, I've seen all these videos of how the police handle these black and brown people, but you know what? I'm a little discomfort. I don't like this sound. I don't like that person being there, even though this is not even my neighborhood, but so I'm going to call the police on that. And so this is what this, that, that's what that speaks to me about. And this was why it was very interesting for me when, um, again, not knowing the makeup of GDI, when I started seeing all these chapter leaders, when you guys did the open letter and all I saw were white women, I was like, oh my God, this explains so much to me. This is why, because I kept saying there was white feminism. I knew it was, but now I saw it. So I need you to talk to your, just, the, I don't, yes. I need you to talk specifically to white women, uh, privileged white women. And then I want you to talk specifically to marginalized people who have been hurt. Okay, I will follow that order. And if does it help to use like a bit of a timeline, a short timeline oh, of... Whatever you need to, because okay. I, I need this teased out. I need people to yes. understand impact. Yes. So we can go back to even uh, my first discovery of this tweet. And being that I know the leadership in Minneapolis, I was over here in Rochester like, what? You know, like this was definitely a moment of, okay, this is a call out. This is something that needs to be discussed and brought up. And when I was getting at with my benefit of doubt though, is I saw an effort to go to HQ to be like, Hey, did you see this? You got these tweets, what's going on? And there was this, and this is something that I'm still grappling with looking back because I think, and I wish I could go back and have more of a gut instinct to just 
cause a scene, like you would say, and we should all should say, because I gave the benefit of the doubt that, hey, it's in their lab. HQ is going to do something about it. And then we as an organization can make a statement, all 62 chapters formerly, they're active and inactive in there, can get behind it. And we can acknowledge this the way we should as a, you know, human effort to be like, we hear you, we see you, here's what we're going to do. Um, and I failed because I personally could have reached out and said, hey, I hear you, I see you. But there was such miscommunication and misdirection of how to handle a situation. And this also goes back to that lack of, uh, well, I can ultimately go back to like a general lack of empathy, but there's also the, the structural layer of this was not, this is a new situation that's come up and everyone's kind of like, uh, you know, without, and me being in Rochester, I was semi-hesitant because I didn't feel like I knew what was going on. And I didn't know if I had what, you know, what to do in that situation for, as a third chapter sister out in the middle of a, a state nowhere near Minneapolis. So that is something that I would love to go back and tell my fellow chapter leaders like, hey, none of that matters because we have someone who, for whom we like to run this mission is speaking out with nothing to gain other than to say, hey, I've got a bone to pick. This is, this is no longer appropriate. This is no longer good. And people should be acknowledging that and responding. And that's what I would expect today. So I don't know why any of us were hesitant back then. Um, and as for the women that we didn't speak to, uh, especially the marginalized and anyone that was affected by this organization, uh, I would personally say, I'm sorry that I didn't focus on that harm when I was, what happens with me is when I see situations that kind of pattern together other problems, I saw that as an opportunity to just go right to headquarters and go, what is going on? Because I took that as another layer of, here's another strike, here's another strike, here's another strike. And I focused a lot of my energy on getting them to move instead of acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the people that we could otherwise help uh, in the meantime. So what also happened in this timeline is we were told for like two months that we were going to get an official statement from headquarters. And this timeline was blown at least twice. I don't want to speak to specifics. We have the timeline out there, but I remember watching to the second that the release was supposed to be given to us and it wasn't. And it was just this, for me, for some reason, I was so fixated on having this unified stance because I thought that showed, you know, a, a stronger effort that we actually mean it versus having one little chapter like me being like, hey, we hear you. Like I wanted the whole line to stand together in solidarity, like, yeah, this doesn't reflect us and this isn't right. Um, but we didn't get that. And then in that waiting time, we lost more trust, caused more pain and saw more damage. Um, and all this led up into Summit. Uh, and me personally, I, I intentionally didn't want to bring up Minneapolis until H or headquarters did. I wanted to see them come to Summit knowing that all of us chapter leaders are together or as many as we can get in the same room and talk about it. Um, because I was already the noisemaker at this point. I was already someone poking and prodding and trying to get this conversation going. It wasn't happening. So I was like, cool, maybe they'll take the steps. I don't want to steal thunder. I don't want to do whatever here, try to play the middle and nothing happened. So that was, and then on top of the nothing happening, 
That was when we had the affinity spaces and oh, some of these. Don't even talk about that. Oh. Yeah, sorry, we won't even talk about it. But we had really poorly, de- poorly decided theme, especially given what was going on in one of our sister chapters, and if not additional, as we know. That's what I was about to say because I'm gonna, and I've, and I think I've said this before. Just because you didn't know about it, I, there's doesn't mean it didn't happen. There's nothing in me that believes that this was a unique case. Hundred percent agree. If anything, I think Minneapolis was the the final straw that has it was the loudest one, and that yeah. was and and honestly, that's back to my transparency thing of I don't even know if we would know if others did happen. Like I don't know I, at Had this point. These I, women not gone on Twitter, you wouldn't have known about that either, right? If I if I hadn't had the ties that I had, because I was one of the few chapter leaders that were fully aware of this situation, and that was just happened to be because I know Minneapolis better and I have this weird love for Minneapolis. I, I don't, I can't explain it. I love their accents. So it's been a, it was like this perfect storm of, okay, I have this, I want to use this. Um, and that led to a channel discussion post summit. Cause once we realized we weren't going to talk about it at summit, I, that's when my cause of seeing kind of got a lot better. And <laughs> that's when I was actually more effective. And we did start to create a, a channel in our local Slack or I'm sorry, not local in our headquarters Slack that was 100% about talking about what happened in Minneapolis. And to me, I was like, okay, all right, this is way too late, but at least it's my chance to get chapters on the same page because I didn't like how we were all, like some chapters at this point, even in late September, had no idea about what was going on. And uh, even into October. So, and that was a lesson learned because here I am, privileged white girl, bringing to the table a really devastating situation with a lot of people who have no idea about it. And so that stirred up a whole other pot of people being frustrated and rightfully so. And like the tensions got high and I wanted to step out because people were like, you shouldn't be leading this. And so it, it only intensified the problems that were at the core. And subsequently that's when the timelines continued with Shanice and subsequently Marisa who recently stepped out as well. So it's, it was a, uh, it was a lot. Um, and it was something that I just, I personally hate knowing that I contributed to more pain through trying to do something. Um, but that's part of my lessons and my growing. And I'm, I, I'm sincerely sorry for anyone along the way that I've impacted. So two things that come out of that for me, and, and something I always say, a product of service does not make a business. A product of service is a product right. of service. You need processes, policies, and procedures in place for it to be a business. And so, and I've said this very early on um, when I, I don't know if I said it in Shanice, but I know I've articulated this, that what I see based on all the fallout from GDI is that it was a product, it was a service, it was not a business because mm-hmm. it did not have the structures in place to build a business. And what it was, was a bunch of patched together as needed when these things happened. There were all, so no effective communication channels, no effective accounting channels, no effective, all these things. Like even um, I've heard so many times, people don't even know what the hell the executive director was doing. Why, I don't understand why the chapter leaders did not know how the func- how the organization that you were a part of functioned. That's one thing. The second thing is, um, I'm happy that you recognize your complicit, complicit, complicity, complicity, complicity. I want every white person in that organization to understand, and I'm going to say this frankly: you mm-hmm. are, are a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You, 
put up. You continue with your with your um, benefit of the doubt, with your um, shit that you knew if it happened in your job, you would not take. You wouldn't have taken this if you were if this was your employer. You were like, I got to get the hell out of here. This is crazy as shit. Um, I don't know if I'm getting paid. I mean, just not getting paid. You were complicit in allowing these quote unquote unquote quote unquote systems to and to keep moving forward. And my third thing is, you always, 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 and this is not GDI specific. Lead from behind the people who've been harmed. So I'm glad you pointed out that you were dealing with trying to figure out from them and you realized that you should have been looking at, you were looking at intention and you should have been focusing on impact. 100%. And when you focus on impact, intention falls in line. And I say this over and over again, when you focus and prioritize the safety and welcoming and the, and, and the benefits of the most vulnerable in our community, everybody benefits. But that also speaks to why you, you don't see it because whiteness is so used to coming to whiteness's aid. Um, how many times do we have these conversations on Twitter um, or at where, where some white person was coming to, some white female was coming to um, the ED's um, side and mm-hmm. going back and forth, and all of a sudden, they yep. finally have to admit, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm not. <laughs> yes. It's like, what the fuck? Yes. You get, you get, oh, I realize I shouldn't have. And then, like, oh, I realize I shouldn't have said anything. How do you get the nerve to open your mouth to challenge people who are saying something to happen and you don't even have the background for it? And right. that was why I made that video, You're Not My Equal. Because I, I'm thinking, you little white chicks, you're not, you don't have, and this is not, this is not, you do not have the background, you don't have the lived experience, you don't have the professional experience to, to, to even come at me. So when you come at me, and I tell this to everybody, white, black, or whoever, if you come at me, make sure you've done your homework, because I've done mine. But this is what whiteness is used to. It's used to when they don't like something, to challenge it, to push it, and make it seem like it's our fault. We're being, we're being, uh, uh, you know, just dismissive, um, disruptive. We're being um, aggressive, and all these things. And this is one of the reasons I really wanted the chapter leaders to come on, and why I've had these these four episodes because it's not just the marginalized who've been hurt. So what I yep. want you to speak to is the pain, the harm that this situation has caused you personally. What have you? What has it done to you? Oh boy, that one's tricky. Um, I, I've always called myself a passionate person. Um, I get, when I find something that really lights me up, I can't help but go all into it. And for me, girl develop it. And a reason why I had grown blind to some of the lines is because I found a place where I could put some of my passion, my energy into teaching people code. And this is something, especially with my local community. Um, I, the experiences I had are, unforgettable. And it's, it's something that brought me a lot of joy. And it also brought me a lot of um, personal success, just knowing that, uh, you know, people recognize what I'm doing and see what I'm up to out here. Um, And excuse me, to see the, this very organization still, uh, the underlying issues shifting from what I thought was just, you know, growing pains and business struggle and leadership trying to move to now the evolved form of, oh my God, this should have never gotten this far. 
this should have been taken care of a long time ago. This is poor leadership, transparency issues and microaggressions, all these other things that that blew up in the same scene. It was just completely heartbreaking because what, what was once an area that I could really enjoy is now the same area that causes immense harm. And it forces me to look back on four and a half years and wonder, what did I even do? Was that even a net positive? Was that even... You know, because when you see the damage that's being done right now and the past, you know, as you would say, it could be the, the entire time of its existence um, because it's not always obvious to me or to other chapters at the same time, but it's just, it feels like an almost waste of time. And for someone who is so hell-bent on efficiency and good use of time and having a clear expectation and a, a world that just works really nicely... Uh, that's a huge blow because I played a part in building that failure and thus it's a reflection of my own work. Um, so it's, I think my well, heartache. I want, get, I want you to get, right now you're talking up here. Um, okay, sure. I need you to connect to your emotions. I need you to tell me how you feel. What, was, what has this experience been like for you personally on an emotional level? That's what I need you to talk about. Yeah, sure. It's it's to the point where I can even feel like that verklempt feeling whenever I even talk about it. It's that that constant ache and just if anything, it's it's this burn in the back of my head too of uh, attempting to catch up all the different details within the chapter leaders or these efforts to how do we redirect ourselves to to and our energy to better things from GDI and how do we hold GDI accountable at the same time? And so it's all of these threads happening at once intensified by the more information that comes out over the past few months, it's just devastating. And then I see and meet the women that we've harmed and um, just recognizing where I fell short and how I didn't, like you said, focus on the impact versus the intention. Ah, I, I don't really know how to put it into words other than just complete heartbreak. And what it, it was causing me to do, though, and this is the silver lining, is I have, I'm trying to find the silver lining in the, the new paths that I've crossed and the people I've met along the way, one of which being you and other, others in the, the various Slack groups we're in. Um, there is an opportunity now to, for me to just take that moment, sit back, absorb a lot more than I was before stop being fixated on the wrong problems to solve. And hopefully in time, I can, I wouldn't ever dare say redeem, but it's more of, I'll just show you through my actions that this is what I always, this is always what I intended. I didn't intend to go off this bad path, but this is the, I want to be an authentic person. That's what I try to be. And so hopefully I can get back to that. And, and that's what I wanted to, because I, my show is, is not about, fluff um, no and I, need, and I need white women to see that it's not just the people you've harmed you harm you are tearing away a little bit of your soul every time you do these things or every time you ignore these things totally. um, whether, whether you recognize it or not um and if if you remember nothing it is it's just the that impact is more important than intention if you follow the impact if you work on the impact uh, everything else is gonna is, is will 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 
I say right itself, but not really, because we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fuck up. I mean, I yes. because we're trying to think about this. We're trying to create an experience that was never meant to exist. Mm-hmm. This, in particular, in this country, any colonized, it is always built on. It was built on white supremacy that was supposed to last until eternity, and yep. so we're going against the system here. <laughs> yeah. So now that we're Dis- the dismantling white supremacy, like what? That was never supposed to be a, 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 a phrase or a thing that people are doing. So we're all in here, this bumping our heads against the wall, um, making mm-hmm. mistakes, harming. Um, the difference is though, it's different than this is where this, the apology tours happen. It's not about impo- apology. It's about acknowledging harm and demonstrating consistent behavior that you've changed. And this is where GDI has failed miserably. Yes. Agreed. There has been nothing. Um, and uh, like with the strike, um, the, the avatar and I was like, okay, let's do it for 24 hours. And then that email came out and I was like, fuck, I got to put the damn effort because this <laughs> is, <laughs> it's like, it's not ending. It's like, yeah. it's not ending. They're not getting it. No. And their silence only makes it worse. I wholeheartedly agree. Silence is deafening. And it's, it's, uh, I'm not sure at this point that I even care to see where they end up because yeah. it's, I mean, I do for the aspect of keeping them accountable, but at the same time, I, I'm so, and I shouldn't be, I should, I keep finding myself impressed, but I, I, I guess that's the kicker of, I never fully bottomed out that bar of expectation because now it's like going underground. I don't even know how to keep making it lower. Yeah, and and it's so funny because it's the same conversation we have about our president or I have about our president. Right, right. Because people are like, oh my God, I I hate that he's president. Fuck you, I'm happy he's president. I wouldn't be able to have this conversation. I could not have this podcast. I could not be talking about causing. I could not be talking about dismantle white supremacy. I could not be saying all white people are racist. I couldn't say none of this shit two years ago because all you white people are just happy go lucky because the president was black and we're post-racial and da-da-da-da. So you would have been saying, Kim, you're just being defensive. And so every time he every time somebody thinks he's bottomed out, I love it because Gives me. I can't say what the fuck I want to anymore. You can't say we can't push against this. You cannot say that the um, that our systems aren't racist by nature. That are. I mean, it is embedded in our organizations. It's embedded in the data that we um, that we in the in the code that we create. Yes, it's embedded in all of that shit. Yes. And that's why I, oh my God, I appreciate, I wouldn't want his ass to come to my house. I ain't got shit to say to him personally, but I love that he's on an international stage putting all of this shit out there. Yep. And I think you and I talked about that in the, in the quick chats as well, how it just, it's that example of now it's like, this is making white women uncomfortable. <gasps> We've hit that level. Yes, exactly. Now, exactly. Like, oh, I was so happy that there wasn't a, wasn't a blue wave. I was like, oh my God, I'm yeah. so happy there wasn't a blue wave. I need right. white people to feel a lot more pain before you actually do work. Because let's be honest, if you're not yes. uncomfortable, if you're not in pain, most people do not voluntarily change. They just don't do it. No, oh, it definitely helps to have that fire under your oh, ass. Oh, that's for sure. It's yeah. like that constant, like, oh, this kind of sucks. Maybe I should do something about yes, it. Yes, it oh, kind of okay. sucks. It's not good enough for me. I need you guys to be in pain. I need you to yep. feel an nth of what marginalized people feel on a daily basis. Right. Trans women are being fucking slaughtered and you right. can, don't care if it's not bothering you. 
um, the the um, surviving R. Kelly documentary just came out, and that's required viewing for everybody who watches and listens to me because you need to hear, recognize that you never cared about black girls. You've never cared about black girls, even in our fucking communities. We haven't cared about black girls inside of black communities because we have so much internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness that has been a part of white supremacy that helps right. that has been used for us to manage our own behaviors. There's so much shit we have to debunk and, and throw away that everybody needs to be uncomfortable. Everybody needs to be uncomfortable so that we can protect the most vulnerable in our communities. I fully agree. So in the last minutes, what do you have to say? What would you like to leave? What message would you like to leave? I, oh man, it's, it's been tough trying to condense. I'm a very scatterbrained type of person sometimes. So it's like, how do I even consolidate for this talk? what my core points are, but I want to just take the moment to instead just thank you for there's, I'm so impressed by you. And the fact that you are having this conversation with me today, knowing the history that and what I played a part with this organization is just, I'm so grateful that I, that I'm able to have this conversation and that your voice, because you're so much better at creating that structure, that business side of putting action behind causing a scene. Um, that you're helping me articulate what I need to say in order to perhaps help other people around me do better. Um, and that's for myself and for others around me. We just, when I say we, I'm thinking about the white privilege or even, you know, I can get into the white male side, but that's, you know, I feel like there's different steps that we need to focus. I'm trying to focus on my demographic. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just the, you have plenty of space women to screw up to mess up, to say the wrong things. So let's start doing it. Let's do it louder. Let's do it often. And recognize that even if you say the wrong thing, society is probably going to give you a slide and you're going to be able to move on. And, and, we, and if we do, we have to call that out as well because mm -hmm. this isn't equal. It's not, it's not balanced. And I'm so tired of seeing my marginalized friends constantly having the gumption before me. It's almost, it just seems backwards. And that's my, uh, my resolution this year. I have a local community out here that does, they have their own similar hashtag. It's uh, speak up now. And I'm joining that up as well with you and just, just speak up all the time, get these noises out there and just call things out so we can get this on a better path because it's, it's been too long. And I'm still, and even with Girl Development, I'm still a little itched by how quiet some of my fellow chapter leaders are. It's like, okay, I thought this was pretty clear. Um, but then again, it's amazing how that, that time away or even the holiday can just kind of, oh, I didn't think about it anymore. So I don't have to go back. So what are you going to do about that? So what are you going to well, do about that? That's why I'm very excited to see that we have these podcasts lined up. And I like that we are going to continue the GDI strike. We are going to do whatever we can, especially with the town hall this week. I want to make sure whatever I put out there with this podcast that it's tied to, Hey, you want to see this for yourself, go to the town hall meeting. Um, cause one thing that would really frustrate me is to have that town hall meeting take place and no one show up, mm -hmm. especially after all of this that we've been trying to show the world, like, Hey, this is your chance. You can see it for yourself. If you don't believe me anymore. If I'm a noisemaker or I'm no longer effective. Then well, I'm going to tell you this is going to air after the town hall. So what are you going to do between now and then to get oh, okay, to the town hall? Yep. So that's where it's just going to be back to, you know, whether it's on Twitter or going into our chapter leaders individually and talking to our local members and making sure we can just 
make everyone aware that this town hall is happening, as well as the ongoing updates of our timelines. The because I, I assume there's going to be more interactions between now and town hall with HQ, and I want to make sure those are all documented, those are all clear, so that we can continue to see and set this as the example. Because this this should be the case study, as you said. Yes. I thought Minneapolis should have been it. And now it can be alongside the entire organization itself. Yep, yep. Because if I see something like Girl Develop It stem up again, and I see these same patterns, nope, that's the cause of scene, yes. day one. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and to give your insight and your perspective, because I say all perspectives matter. Um, White, pers- uh, white cis perspectives aren't prioritized in my view because they've been prioritized for so long, but your perspective does matter because it adds to the conversation and it helps communicate um, and helps, yeah, communicate to a pe- group of people who don't listen to me. Um, and, and, and this is one reason why I've actually shifted hashtag cause of scene initiatives to specifically... Um, it's white people as, as as a macro, but specifically white women, because you're the bottleneck. You're in the way, but you. But the thing also is, you're also when you get it, you're ready to move and take action. Mm-hmm. Where I don't see that with white men, they're still wanting me to hold their hand, and that's just way too much emotional labor. Once, if I'm gonna do the the emotional labor and the time and effort of educating and and demonstrating behavior. I need you to take action. And white women will do it that when they are, um, when they see it. So um, yeah, just trust me, I'll be calling on you because you have said this out loud and I will be holding you to account to continue to cause a scene. Thank mm-hmm. you. Have a great day. Thank you, Kim. You too. Right. Everyone in the hashtag call to scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of the um, chapter leader episode. So I'd like to um, um, introduce Valerie. Inter- uh, Valerie, could you introduce yourself to everyone? Hi, everyone. I'm Valerie. Um, I am a ex-chapter leader of GDI, and I am a full stack dev and just all around try to be an amazing person. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get started. How I always get started. Could you um, tell us why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? I think it's important to cause a scene because if you don't speak up, you're usually suffering in silence. And that's just going to leave you like dead on arrival most of the time. And uh, what was the other question? How are you causing a scene? Oh, just by existing, you know, just being <laughs> me. That that's usually causing a scene. All right, I, I truly understand that. So, um, let's talk about why are you why are you an ex um, chapter leader? Well, it's it's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot, um, but the crazy thing is, like me becoming a chapter leader started off as something like really great. Like I found out about GDI through uh, Sharon's Code Newbie co- podcast. And I thought this is an amazing community. Like, I can't wait to be a part of this. I checked out the website and I got that feeling of, you know, maybe this isn't for me. 
it doesn't look like it was built with me in mind. And it, I don't know exactly what it was. It was a, a cross between like the branding and the language and the things like that. But I said, whatever, like most things aren't made for me. So mm. I'll go to it. I'll see what it's about. And I went and our local chapter was amazing. Like uh, Natalie was running it at the time and everything that is seen GDI was struggling with at a national level. We got it right in LA. It was very inclusive. It was very empowering. I saw all types of women there. Mm-hmm. I thought, thought, you know what? This is a space for me. It is welcoming. I want to be a part of that. And I want to be a leader in this. And it all changed when I actually became a leader. Um, it was actually kind of funny. I ran into leadership, I think, maybe a week or so after I had gone to a meeting to sign up to be a chapter leader. And we were at Google I.O. and we were having fun. And that was when the first red flag happened. Um, I was talking to Shanice. Um, it was later in the day of Google I.O. So we were having a lot of fun by that time. And I overheard someone in leadership say something to the effect of, this is what they need. They need our space kind of like to say, like to find each other. This is what they need. Black women in tech need this. As if we weren't going to find each other at Google I.O., a predominantly white event with very little people of color. Like we weren't going to run into each other, but... You yeah, know. they don't realize that we play We play. Where, where's the Negro when we go to these things. And it's like, as soon as we walk in this space, we start counting yeah. and nodding and recognizing, okay, I see you, I see you. That Yeah, they don't, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I, I brushed that off as like, maybe this is just a one-off thing. It is late in the, in the day. We are having a lot of fun. So I'll scratch that as a one-time thing, which in hindsight, I probably should have like bowed out then, but like those things just kept happening, those little red flags. But I think, um, especially at Summit, Summit where all the chapter leaders came together, the whole event was just awkward and just, it seemed very forced. And the topic for Summit was um, intersectionality and coming together and empowering each other, but it felt forced and it felt awkward and it felt not natural throughout the course of the three-day event. And so I'm just like, this is really weird. And then we get to the part of summit where a lot of the um, chapter leaders of color are feeling extremely uncomfortable um, because they're asked to talk about their trauma of being the other in the room, which, honestly infuriated me on Mm -hmm. so many levels Mm -hmm. um but I tried to say you know maybe this is what we need to kind of start the conversation maybe they didn't handle it correctly but this was wrong this is not right something's not right here and I just said like we just need to have more discussions to get it right but I was not excited, but just I understood what they were, where they were trying to go. It was just that they were so far off. It was concerning. And I think the, the next red flag that 
was just the biggest slap in my face was when um, Jocelyn stepped down um, and she wrote that article and just speaking out about her experience. And to me, hearing that experience and being a part of the discussion she was in and felt the harm, I realized like I'm part of this problem. I added to her harm because I was in that space and did not speak up. And I read through her article and I knew that she said that there was no women of color speaking up in that, in that space. She felt that way. And at first I was hurt and I was angry because I was in that discussion and I was going back and forth trying to figure out what went wrong and how we could fix it. So I felt like at that moment, my voice wasn't being heard and I was angry. But then when I took like my personal feelings out of it and I saw it from her perspective, I saw her post her question and ask for clarification. And I saw day one, day two, day three, no response. Of course, by that time I was already burnt out and didn't want to continue that conversation that was going nowhere. But I had the option to cause a scene and I didn't. I could have said something and it would have reached her and it would have meant that people of color were speaking out. A black woman was speaking out to help another black woman. And I didn't do that. And it took me a long time to kind of like come to terms with that. But once I did, I realized I can't be quiet. Like this isn't something to be quiet about when people are being harmed. And it's easy to make those mistakes of being silent, not speaking up and not standing up when you're tired. But other people are tired too. So that's when I started pushing and bugging leadership more, wanting them to be more aware of their mistakes. Same way I took the time to self-reflect, I wanted the same thing from leadership. But every time I tried speaking up, I kind of got the feeling that I was being painted as a mob or as being a, being someone who's attacking or things like that. And it made it seem that the people who I was asking to reflect were playing kind of like the victim role and kind of pushing the blame back on me and other chapter leaders, which... I don't know how that was their thought process, if it was intentional or not, but that that was enough for me. Like, I don't understand how someone who is causing harm to people, especially people in protected groups, can say that they're having a hard time dealing with black backlash or feedback or anything like that when they are the one causing harm. And they're continuing to cause harm because they won't take the time they need to realize what's going on. And for on the flip side of that, the person who's receiving the harm, they can't do anything to change why they're being discriminated against. So to me, like, I don't understand the hurt feelings. There's no need for that. I understand that you don't want to cause harm, but you did. So let's try to fix it and just change your behavior to make it a welcoming space for everyone. And after having multiple conversations like this in multiple forums, and I just kept hitting dead walls, 
uh, dead ends, I, I've had enough. And I realized all this effort that I'm putting into trying to hold leadership accountable or see their mistakes and try to help them fix it, I could be putting that into that community that connected me to GDI in the first place mm-hmm. instead of going back and forth in this very toxic environment. And that's why I am no longer mm-hmm. a GDI chapter leader. Thank you for teasing this out. And this is why I'm, I'm doing these episodes and I um, appreciate you taking the time because it's challenging for those impacted negatively to, again, continue to tell their stories. Um, and I, thank you for giving, um, giving me the opportunity to share your story because it's necessary. Um, and there are some things that I was taking notes about and it's so interesting because it's so indicative of how marginalized in groups, individuals have learned to manage and navigate these spaces. Very first encounter you had, your gut told you, this is not for you, and you ignored it. You had several red flags and you ignored them because we're taught or we learn because, you know, we have to be 10 times better than everybody else. This is going to be a shit show when I get in it. So I just need to figure the same thing out for me. So we walk into spaces that, as you said, even the website was not designed for you. And we're just used to either we, we, we assimilate, which we no longer should be doing. We should be, they should be accommodating us. We assimilate and we're always uncomfortable. We never feel at home. It's always putting on that pair of jeans from high school that you swear you're going to keep get you're going to get into, and they're just too tight and uncomfortable, and nothing about them. And then they're out of date, so the style doesn't fit anymore. So there's nothing really about these jeans that you really care about, except for the fact that you've determined in your head that I'm going to get my ass in these pair of jeans. Um, and then the, uh, the the impact versus intention thing. If we started the fact that you we're able to self-evaluate. And, and I want to get to some of your questions in a minute, but the fact that you were able to self-evaluate and realize that you, instead of when you were angry, that was not benefiting the situation and that you had to shift and look at it from her perspective, which is the person who was being impacted to um, so that you can empathize and see where her perspective was coming from. That's something, and I... And, whiteness has to learn. This is a huge problem in the white community because they've never had to self-evaluate. They have been the default for so long. Not for so long, always. They've always been the default. So anything that challenges that becomes the person who is victimized or who's harmed is problem. So this is why the questions you're asking, why can they don't, many of them don't have the skills. They've never been challenged. It's always been them. Um, and when you ask the question of why are they crying? Because that's the default. White women's tears. When they are challenged, they're used to falling into, and it's, it is, it's trained. Some of it is unconscious, but it's, it's, it, they've, when it, although it, some may be, some of it may be unconscious, they've learned that there are benefits to doing it. So at some point now it's become conscious because you know, if you start the, the, Oh, they're picking on me. They're bullying me. Um, I feel uh, I feel attacked. All of that, and then when you bring the tears, that someone every the whole conversation now goes away from what, the harm you've caused to your feelings, and why you are now making this white woman feel this way, and and the fact that you have sh- had a 
were able to articulate that you have the ability, you had and have the ability to do this. When I'm listening to white women in this group who are demonstrating to me and telling me that they did not shows another part of why black women are just a shit. Um, because, and, and women of color are just a shit because we've had to learn to navigate. So we've had to learn to learn their environment way better than they even know how to, to maneuver within their environments. Yes. Yes. So I can just imagine the level of, what am I trying to say? Disconnection and anxiety you must have because you're, in, you're seeing these things from day one that are saying, this is not for you. And then you're like, but I, let me just do it anyway. Because again, like you said, none of these things are for me. And then when you go into your local and it's rocking and rolling, and this is what happens in organizations too. And this is why I don't, when people are like, but my team is great. It's not about your team. It's about the system. Your team is a silo. And if the system is not functioning as that great silo is, then the whole team, the whole system is a shit show. Because at some point, it's going to start affecting that silo. It's going to start affecting that one team. At some point, it's going to happen. Um, and so I'm never impressed when people are like, well, yeah, my organization sucks, but the team I work on is great. Nope, that's not good enough for me. That it, it, it needs to be whatever you're doing in your team needs to be um, amplified and communicated and shared throughout the organization. And so um, I'm glad you had a great experience in L.A. in your L.A. chapter, but it's also indicative of the larger problem that it was like this, this offset. And I'm hearing this in other, from other chapter leaders who are saying, we just did, we were just able to do what the hell we wanted to do because we weren't getting anything from the national, from headquarters. And so as, but as headquarters, the more connection or the more um, they had to engage with headquarters was when they, when the problems came. Yes. And that's what, I realized too, like it took me a while, but I said like, there's no way that this toxic environment is going to stay where it is. And then it started making me think, well, I'm following these policies and guidelines that I know for the most part are are not working to reach the community I want to help because of prices, because of location, because of all these things that we as chapter leaders repeatedly tell them, like we're not able to reach XYZ community because Mm -hmm. of these policies and nothing's being done. And so where I thought first coming in, I'm like, oh, maybe this is just how everything goes. The more I started to learn, I'm like, no, that's not right. Mm -hmm. Like this is not working. And like I, like I was saying, looking back at all those red flags, it's just like, how did I stay that long? It, It wasn't even a full year, but I don't think I should have even entered this space. At some point. And, and that's where I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to give you some, some not solace, but just some awareness that, because I, I, I can just tell in your voice, you're feeling a little like, what the fuck was I doing? You know, like, yeah. you know, like you, you're disappointed in yourself. You're like, what the, f-? but that is just, that's what we've been trained to do. We've been trained because none of these spaces are for us. And this is why we need to make the shifts because now we're trying to, and so I give you this. We're trying to create a space and an environment and experiences that were never meant to exist. Mm-hmm. And so give you, I'm going to give you, so I'm giving you permission to give yourself a break because what 
you experienced is what many of these women of color experienced. And the only reason they were there, and so Shanice said the same thing. At some point, it's like, I cannot stay here because it looks like I'm endorsing this thing. Um, yeah. And it, it's gaslighting. It's, 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 it's gaslighting because it's like, you're like, because ah, uh, you're questioning, you're like, but that, but if I stay and work harder, and so then they get your labor and then nothing's going anywhere and then you're burnt out. And like you said, you can do, if I'm putting out the, if I'm going to do the work, I might as well put it where I know there's going to be some benefit. Yeah, definitely. But I do have to say that one thing GDI did that I'm pretty sure was not intentional is that they really did empower all of our chapter leaders. Like the chapter leaders that I met and I'm continuing to meet through all of this are amazing women that are highly skilled. Yes. Uh, like it's crazy that we all came together for this community and the amount of work that we did without any support from leadership, from headquarters. It's that in spite of, it's that success in spite of the, the, the obstacles. <laughs> yes. And I do say that being a part of GDI and being a chapter leader has showed me all the things that I can accomplish and I can do yes. without a name behind me. Mm-hmm. Like it was me who was working with the community. It was me who was doing the outreach. It was me that was like trying to fix things. And so like taking out everything that's so toxic, I realized I could do this on my own. Oh, that we, we can do this on our own. You and really that's see how I, resilient you are. <laughs> Yes. yes. And like I said from the beginning, I feel like this space and many spaces, especially in the tech sector, aren't made for me and aren't made for a lot of people who look, sound, act, grew up the exact same place as I did. So I decided to, why not take that same energy, that same motivation to be a community leader and create a space that is for those protected mm-hmm. groups, that is for people who are women, who are people of color, the LGBTQ, mm-hmm. differently able, different religious, different ages, everything. Make a space that everyone is welcome. And if we get it right for those people, everyone's going to be, be fine. Exactly. If, we, if we've prioritized the needs and safety of the most vulnerable and marginalized, everybody benefits. And this and is, that's, this and is that's what people what I, miss out on. It is. It's the biggest space. And it's one thing that um, has always been an afterthought. And so that's why I decided to go out and create my own community. Like I've created a community called Tech by Choice. And mm-hmm. we're doing exactly that. Well, let's talk about Tech by Choice. What is that? Sounds exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> I'm thrilled about it. No, Tech by Choice is a community where we are building a safe space for those protected groups to learn how to enter enter the tech industry. So like I was saying, if we get it right for the protected groups, we get it right for everybody. And one of the biggest things to me and why why the tech industry is so powerful and it has been so powerful for me is because of the access that I received and the things I was able to go ahead and take my whole family out of because of the job yes, that I was able to yes, receive. Yes, yes. And so this, is the, why, this is why I fight so hard for it because the potential for changing, these are not just white male, white cis hero males jobs anymore. These, if, and I, and, and I look at, because I'm working with some people in um, El Salvador. Think about what, if, if you may, in, in, in Medellin, if, think about 
your do- that dollar, what you're making and what that does in those communities. This is when we uh, enable or make space for, get the hell out of the way and make space for vulnerable and marginalized community members to come into this space, they can change their communities on a large scale. Yes. Yes. And that's what I, what I've always wanted to do. And that's what we're doing. And that's what I love about tech because no other industry, now I know tech touches every industry, but I'm talking about just, you know, the development, the projects, all of, no, it touches everything, but no other industry enables this kind of, um, wealth creation, this kind of transformational family and community um, systemic change. Because if you go, if you're um, want to go into law, you want to go into medicine, there's a identified path. And that's mm-hmm. not, doesn't bring your family with you. Um, but if you can make your space in tech and then not only are you doing better and you do your immediate family and friends are get better, but then they start seeing, but like, what the hell are you start asking? What the hell are you doing? That, I mean, it's just like, boom, 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 boom. This is this, this like roller coaster effect. That's just amazing that our, yeah. the, that our community have never had access to. We've no. never had this kind of, this, this kind of way to leverage, to up our, to, to, as they say, grab ourselves by the bootstrap. Cause as Martin Luther King says, it's, it's, um, something to the effect, and I don't know the exact quote, but he said to tell a person to pull themselves up the by the bootstraps when they have no boots is, 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 is I said shit show, but that's not what he said. Um, <laughs> it's very, that's, that's, that, that's the highlight of privilege right there. You know, work harder. Well, hell, if you really look at your privilege, you really haven't had work that day hard so but the the ability to leverage tech to change our communities is amazing and that's why I stay in this space this is why I just love being here and I do this work because it's like it's like every dollar I spend in this space I can it, it shows up as a hundred dollars Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas other industries, every dollar I spend show up like forty cent or something like that, you know. And so it's like I'm my effort are exponential here. The opportunities are exponential, and also because there's so very few of us, it's, yes, it's, it's it. We stand out where in other industries we wouldn't stand out. Definitely. So tell me some things that you're doing. So I want to. I want some details. I'm excited. So what is um, Tech by Choice doing? So so far. Um... It's actually really exciting. Like I believe right before New Year's, because I took a little break from everything for New Year's. I think I had counted, I've been working on it for 25 days and we had already are in the plans to launch in two, two cities, one in LA and one in Oakland. And we have a few of them um, in the backlog to get ready to launch. And our whole goal is to support our community by giving creating different events, workshops, and classes to help people build the skills they need to get into tech. But it's not just coding because coding isn't for everyone and that's yes. fine. Oh, but yes. there are so many other jobs in the tech industry yes. that require that pays amazing. Yes. Yes. And so we're working on creating that curriculum. We're working on uh, building our outreach and just building our community any and every way that we can. Um, But the thing that we are really focusing on is finding out all the different ways that we can support the local community before we build up. Mm -hmm. Because if we get it right for the local community, for the chapter leaders, for the organizers, for the volunteers, we just have to repeat that in leadership. So for right now, 
we we're getting ready to launch, which is super amazing. Uh, but we're really focused on getting things right for when are you launching? For LA, we have a soft date of like mid February, and I believe the same for uh, for Oakland. Okay. And so we're gonna go ahead and set that up and do like an official announcement um, for that with the dates and location and things like that. We have um, both of our meetup pages, both for LA and Oakland, up and running, so people can go ahead and join us there uh, to see all of the events that we're gonna have. And we also have our Slack channel going to keep our community active even um, when we're not having classes and just want to share fun stuff. Exactly. Exactly. I'm so proud yeah. of you. I'm Thank so you. Proud. Yeah, I love when that Black girl magic because when, when things need to happen, we make a way. We figure out how to do it. And that's just the nature of who we are. And you're right. It was unintentional empowerment because what, what, mm-hmm. it, is, what it does is it, it amplifies or highlights the skills that we've had to well, if it, it challenges us to develop skills <laughs> and then it helps us h- highlight the skills that we have and then it forces us to be really creative. And, um, and then what, end up, what ends up happening is we leave those places and then go out and do just amazing things. Yes. And I think that's one thing that if things weren't so bad in GDI, would we have ever really left and created our own spaces? Exactly. Probably not. Because all this safe that that safety net that we never needed. Yep, yep, and it's that's what I'm saying. It just highlights like problems. It's just like it's it, and that's what's that's why it's necessary. And it's again, even if GDI was a, a, an effectively run organization, that your organization is still needed. Mm-hmm. Um, because everybody's not going to feel safe coming to GDI, but you and your community looking like your community people they're like I, I i i you know valerie i get it you know she, she she's one of us and every group needs that and i can tell you um and people are going to get pissed at us blacks are the only ones that really don't have that if you go into every other community um asians have it um the various ethnicities in a um, a, um chinatown you could go to india um indian um, groups have it jewish um communities have it we're the only group that when we we don't have it. And we, we've tried to create those things. We've been, there've been intentional strategies, um, either political, um, economic, and, and, and a lot of times violent to keep us from doing those things. So I really commend you for, for seeing this need and going out and, and, and not letting this negative experience stop you. Because that's another thing that I find with, um, and I tell white people all the time, and this is why I wrote um, a piece called Dismantling White Supremacy um, the fi- and the Five Stages of Grief. Because they get stuck in either anger or guilt. And e- neither one of them gets them to moving. They just get stuck there. They can't move. And I need you to get go through all those because those are normal emotions, but to still get the work done. And that's not something that they're used to. Um, they're not used to these challenges. I mean, we are used to, in our communities, shit happens. We mourn it, we grieve it, and we keep moving because we have to. We have no other choice. Yes. Well, I'm pretty sure we'll get there one day, but... Until we get there, we'll just keep creating our own spaces and keep doing the things that we need to do to support each other. Yes. And that was one thing um, with tomorrow's episode. Um, 
few weeks ago, she talked about when I, um, one of her, my exercise for her was to go to um, Blacks in Tech Conference in Minneapolis because um, she was a part of the GDI Minneapolis group. And I wanted her to tell, talk about her experience. And she's like, the one thing that show, that she saw was that when she goes to a, I'll say regular conference, because that's, you know, they're designed for white people. Because I want her to go this, I want to go, her to go to a conference that was not designed for the comfort of white people. And she was like, when she goes to those things, everybody's either talking about cold or it's always it's technical stuff. And then people are trying to one up each other. It's always this one up thing. She's like, the thing that she saw in this at this conference was people coming together as a community. I'm doing this thing. How can it help you do this thing? She's like, she's mm-hmm. never experienced that. And I can tell you, I haven't experienced that when I go to regular conferences. But that's a part of our communities because we've had to do that. We've had to make those alliances and, and, and um, we, ha- we haven't had the resources. So we've always had to share resources and yeah. share networks and all these other, we can't hoard them if we want to be successful. We have to spread them around so that we can um, scale what we're doing and leverage what we're doing. And so to, to hear a white woman say that she saw that and that just speaks to what you're saying is that's what we need to, we definitely need more to do more of that. Yes, definitely. So Thank you for your time. Are there any last words? Anything you'd like to leave the audience with? I think uh, the only thing I want to say is even though all of this stuff is really hard, it's really difficult and it's really trying. I think this is all conversations we need to have until it's uncomfortable. It's no longer uncomfortable. That's it. That's my hope. And that's what people, when you learn to walk, it was uncomfortable until you learn to walk. (laughs) And it's like, it's like people keep stopping at the wall of discomfort, but there's something on the other side of the wall of discomfort that we need to move through. And so thank you so much for your time. And I wish you so much success with your organization. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Causing Podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Causing movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Causing community. Just visit the website at HashtagCausing.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Causing, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.